Well, welcome and good morning. Uh, we are in week eight today, or yeah, week eight today of our series of going through First Peter, living with hope in a difficult world. Um, and I want us to, uh, to start simply by remembering something about the background that was mentioned when we first started our study of this letter. As we said, it was written mostly to Gentile believers in Asia as the gospel was preached throughout Asia. Gentiles began to put their faith in Christ. And if you remember, I said I was going to, the, that that was going to come into play later in the book. So we've already uh, seen, you know, Peter was emphasize, has been emphasizing throughout this book how to live as a Christian representing Christ in the midst of a pagan world. Uh, specifically, the last couple of weeks, we've been dealing with the issue of responding to authority and with respect and with honor. Today, we're going to continue in the same vein as Peter addresses relationships in the home, uh, those of wives and husbands. Uh, first, he's going to speak to wives, and as he does this, we need to understand that he is speaking to Christian wives in the church who are married to unbelieving husbands. They were new believers, Gentiles who had converted. They were new believers married to unbelieving hu pagan husbands. So just like last week, as we said, Peter wasn't addressing the culture. He was addressing our behavior in the culture. It's the same this week. Peter's writing to wives whose husbands were still unbelievers. The, you know, they, the wives had come into faith, but their husbands had not. And he was helping them, giving some advice and some direction, instruction for how to do that, how to live as a Christian with an unbelieving spouse. In March of 78, Lisa and I had been married for just over a year. Uh, and one day I came home to discover that uh, I had a new wife. Uh, it seems that she had met Christ, and suddenly she was a different person, and I didn't know how to handle it. I mean, overnight, our interests were different. You know, she was trying to figure out how to live as a Christian now, whose husband was an unbeliever and, you know, totally uninterested in Christ. And on the other hand, I was trying to figure out what had happened to my wife and how was I going to deal with it. I remember somewhere along the line, she came across a little paperback book titled, I Love God and My Husband. And, you know, she, uh, uh, it, it was a timely discovery of that book because she was trying to reconcile how she could do both. I mean, she loved me and she also loved God, which meant that some things were going to have to change around our house. And she was navigating the waters of how to love me while at the same time remaining faithful to God because often um, our interests came into conflict with each other now. That's the kind of situation that Peter is addressing as we start chapter 3. How does a believing wife live in a marriage with an unbelieving husband? So let's read as he starts uh, in uh, chapter 3 starting in the first verse. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. And then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Here's something we need to understand as we look at this. The culture of that day was a patriarchal culture, which means men were in charge. Now, this isn't saying that that's good or bad, 
or and it's not saying that that's the way things are supposed to be. It's just saying that Peter is simply acknowledging that that's what the culture is. And he says to the wives with unbelieving husbands, accept the authority of your husband. <laughs> with the hopes that by means of the wives' behavior, the husbands would be won over as they would come to know Christ and put their faith in him just by observing their husbands. In other words, he's saying, okay, here, I totally, it went blank. But, but what he's saying is don't just go home and, and uh, uh, start preaching to your husbands. Don't just go home and, and, uh, uh, and, and, and start telling them you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong, you need to start doing this, uh, this differently. Um, don't just go home and start beating them over the head with the Bible. Just quietly live your life in front of him. Let him see it working in your life. Let him see it, in your, your faith in front of him. Let him see the change in your life. You know, after Lisa became a Christian in March of 78, somebody gave her the advice that instead of preaching to me, instead of going out and just, you know, telling me all this new stuff she was learning and preaching to me and trying to convince me, she should just quietly live her faith in front of me. That's the main factor that led me to faith in Christ. I saw a difference in her life. She wasn't bombarding me with Bible verses. She simply quietly lived her faith in front of me. And I saw the love and peace of Christ just fill her life. Here's the takeaway from, what, from, from this passage. Here's the takeaway from these verses. When someone refuses to listen to your words, let your life quietly speak for you. When someone refuses to listen to your words, just let your life quietly speak for you. That's what Lisa did. That's what she did, because I didn't want to hear what she had to say. So instead, she started being quiet and just living out in front of me, and that's what made the difference. Peter continues in verse 3, says, don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband, Abraham, and called him her master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. Once again, let's look at what this is and isn't saying. Peter's not saying that there's anything wrong with expensive clothes, jewelry, or fancy hairdo. To say that is to totally miss the point of what he's saying. The point of this passage is that what really matters is what's inside a person, not what's on the outside. So, don't focus on the outside while neglecting the inside. Now, he's not saying don't pay attention to the outside. He's not saying to neglect it. He's simply saying don't make the outside your focus while you neglect the inside because it's what's on 
on the inside that really counts. It's not what's on the outside that makes a person beautiful. It's the inside. Therefore, time is better spent cultivating inner beauty rather than outward appearance. Because outward beauty, while it may impress man, inner beauty is what honors God. So Peter says, you wives with pagans husband, pagan husbands, cultivate inner beauty. Rather than arguing with your husbands and resisting them whenever you think they're wrong, do what Peter says the women of old did. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. But how, 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 can, they, how can they accept the authority of a, of a pagan husband over them? They're believers now. How can they, how can they do that? It's a problem we run into sometimes, whether we're talking about a spouse or really anyone else in society that's not a Christian. As believers, we have difficulty with that, but Peter gives us the answer to that. We do it by putting our full trust in God. We honor the authority, we respect the authority, but we trust in God. God is sovereign above all things. And he is always aware of what's going on. We, he, and he is always good. I mean, we can take that to the bank. We may not be able to trust the authority, but we can always trust God. So then Peter turns and addresses husbands. Starting in verse 7. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. So he says, men, husbands, treat your wife with honor. Treat her with honor. Now, how do we do that? Well, for one thing, by the way we speak to them and about them, the way we address them and the way we talk about them, whether we're in front of them or not. Let your words show respect. Don't speak condescendingly. Show, the, show that you value their opinion and their input on decisions. Treat her with, with, with honor. Show her honor. And then second, treat your wife with understanding. Be gentle. Recognize that she is different than you are. She has different needs. She's affected differently by things that happen than you are. So be compassionate about that and be understanding about that. And then also treat her as an equal partner. When Peter says, you know, she may be weaker than you, he means that strictly in a physical sense. In some sense, the woman is stronger, but basically he's talking about physical sense. The women are, 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 are weaker physically. Uh, be aware of that. And then, but the, the whole point of this verse, though, is that is that she is your equal. She is your equal partner. I mean, you're going to be better and stronger at some things than she is, and she's going to be better and stronger at other things. But you have a partnership, an equal partnership. It's a covenant based on the coming together of equal partners. Don't relegate her to second class. Don't think that you have to be better at everything. Don't fall into the trap of, well, some things are men's jobs and some things are women's jobs. Or that's, you know, this is men's work and that's women's work. The job goes to whoever is best or sometimes to whoever just has the time if they're, if they're equal. 
uh, as far as their ability on the job. So love your wife. Honor her with understanding as an equal partner and learn to serve her. Learn to serve her. Peter wraps up this section saying to husbands that if you don't treat your wives with honor and respect and as equal partners, then maybe you shouldn't expect your prayers to be answered. It very well may interfere with your prayer life. Get things right at home first. Then bring your requests to God. And that's how husbands and wives are to relate in the midst of a pagan culture when maybe one spouse is believing and one is not. Now, we are going to share in communion together. So if you haven't already, then go and get the communion elements. I have mine right here. And I want to first read, I'm reading from the Passion Translation for this. In 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul talks about the communion table, um, we're going to start with reading the second part first. He says, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are retelling the story. In other words, the story of Christ's uh, 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 crucifixion and resurrection. You're retelling the story, proclaiming our Lord's death until he comes. For this reason, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in the wrong spirit will be guilty of dishonoring the body and blood of the Lord. So let each individual first evaluate his own attitude and only then eat the bread and drink the cup. For continually eating and drinking with the wrong spirit will bring judgment upon yourself by not recognizing the body. This insensitivity is why many of you are weak, chronically ill, and some even dying. So take just a moment, and if there's anything that is not right between you and God, just make it right right now. And we'll take communion together. Okay. Starting in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writes, I've handed down to you what came to me by direct revelation from the Lord himself. The same night in which he was handed over, he took bread and gave thanks. Then he distributed it to the disciples and said, Take it and eat your fill. It is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. Let's take the bread and take it together. He did the same with a cup of wine after supper said, and said, this cup seals the new covenant with my blood. Drink it. And whenever you drink this, do it to remember me. Take the cup together.
Let us pray. Father, I thank you for the sacrifice that you made of sending your son. You knew what it was going to cost you. You knew the outcome. And you did it anyway. You knew the pain he was going to suffer. And you loved us so much that he that that you watched as your son was nailed to the cross in place of us. But Lord, I'm so thankful that that's not where the story ends. Because on the third day, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, rose from the dead. And through his resurrection, we have new life. Everything has changed. And we thank you for that. And we glorify you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And now let me give you the benediction. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. God bless you. As we prepare to worship some more, let me just give a shout out to Marilyn and Irv. It's good to have you joining us now. Let's worship some more. <laughs>